Hello, uh, welcome back to Talking Their Language with Helen Bodell. We're now on our 10th episode and we're so excited to have the brilliant Schwib on our podcast today after getting involved in the Twitter live chat um, on the Leaders Team Twitter account last week. Um, we've just had to get you on to talk about diversity and inclusion, which is really good. Um, how are you? Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about why it's so important for schools to be inclusive now? Of course, Helen. Hello, Helen. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Shweb Khan. Uh, teacher, educator, podcaster, my podcast called Anti Small Talk. I've got to plug that everywhere I go. It's on Teacher Hub Radio. It's also on all leading platforms as well. I uh, had to plug that straight away. Um, yeah, a teacher, a writer, educator, um, someone with a lot of lived experience. Um, I've done a lot of EDI work with schools, kind of like in a roundabout consultancy sort of way, but also in terms of like pastoral work as well. Um, the reason why I think inclusion is really important is because our schools, our education system, our society is made up of people with intersectional identities and we're growing up we're growing particularly the time now post 2020 where conversations about edi are starting to pick up more and more i think we all need to have the vocabulary the language the skills to have these conversations and we need to foster spaces that are non-threatening for people to have these conversations and twinkle open up that space for me i know many schools are doing that work and putting in the hard yards but um ultimately it's for the next generation because we're going to we have to lay those foundations now for the next generation to feel comfortable and talk about things like trans rights talk about things like gender inequality etc and these sort of conversations need to take place in schools i believe because once they're pushed out of the arena of a school they go into places and hands where we have no control and a regulation yeah. of information but information that can be misinformation or fake news that's the phrase we want to use. So it's about also about challenging these binary narratives between good and bad, right and wrong, which are, are broken systems. They need challenging. So there's a there's many reasons why schools need to be inclusive. And I think that even the notion of inclusion, we flip it as well. What happens when we're not inclusive? At the very yeah. basic, our teaching standards ask us to differentiate and cater for the needs of A, our staff, and B, our students. So I think the notion of outclusion is really important. Where are we outclusive once and how can we now make sure those groups that were excluded are now part of the conversation and moving forward? So inclusion is everything. It means everything to me. And uh, yeah, I'm really fortunate to have this conversation with you today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's so important for everyone to be inclusive. Um, everyone's got a voice, deserves to be recognised. Um, like you say, regardless of race, gender, religion, ability. Um, those conversations do need to take place and it can be difficult sometimes can't it um, but it's like you say you have about them open-mindedness and um, you know opening those conversations up uh, what would you say would the benefits are of creating a more diverse workplace I mean there's a hundred benefits but have you got any um, that you can talk about there was a piece of research um, it was not too long ago I think it's 2017 it was completed by an organization I've got it on top in the back of my head now it's completed by an organization called uh, do something better and they surveyed a thousand people okay. and they asked uh, in, in a global organization in the UK they asked them about the link between inclusion and well-being and they found a clear correlation between the two people that felt included had their well-being look after and I think that's one of the major benefits I think if we're looking at well-being and well-being is one of my passions as well teacher yeah. well-being student well-being allowing people to have a, a place have their voice heard have their needs met that's where it really starts for me. That's where the conversation really yeah. begins to start. And we can start having those dialogues. But um, the benefits, the net benefits, is an impact on attainment, behavior, attendance, 
fostering difficult conversations with colleagues, also with students from different parts of the world, especially now we've got an influx of, potentially got an influx of Ukrainian students coming to the UK as well. It's about opening up that space as well, providing life skills, um, the mental health benefits for staff who feel as though the school look after them. If someone was to, for example, say to me, Eid Mubarak in a couple of weeks time when I was working in a school, it would make me feel like I'm part of the school community. And I think that feeling of belonging is really, really important for students and for staff as well. And not only that, we all gain from cultural exchange and minimal cultural exchange is what we're looking for at the minimum, the baseline, the baseline kindness, asking people how they are, knowing what they're up to, understanding why certain traditions, cultures and customs take place. So the benefits are enormous. Mental health is there. It's about attainment. We can talk about well-being. We can go into behavior as well. I found in some of the schools that I worked at, getting to know the children, their background, their ethnicity, culture, religion, that's allowed me and empowered me to hold difficult conversations. And behavior has been so much better as well. So everyone benefits. Um, you also reflect your community in your school, which I think is really important in any, any way, shape or form. Yes. Uh, and uh, contextual knowledge. I feel as the way I look at it, whenever I work in the school, Helen, I used to live in, in, in the Monster community. That was really yeah. important to me. I wanted to feel as though I smelt the same air as those kids and, that, and those and those pe- people in that community as well. So inclusivity is absolutely everything. And uh, yeah, um, fostering those attitudes, it comes top down, but then yeah. it also ripples upwards as well from students uh, amongst the teachers as well. So yeah, um, that's, that's, that, those are the net benefits for me as well. Self-awareness, acceptance, tolerance. We can use all the buzzwords possible, but the, the net benefits are huge. Yeah, definitely. I mean, feeling valued, of course, you're going to work harder, work better, aren't you? You know, when you feel part of the community, it's, um, you know, really important. Absolutely. And those students, like, they get so much from it. And, and like you say, working in those schools, I've got it right. It's just an amazing place to be. Definitely. You can walk into a school and you, you hear kids talking about pretty much anything in front of a teacher, any global issue that's going on. The teacher's able to listen, challenge misconceptions. The teacher's empowered by school leaders who've said children can have these conversations as well, whether it's in PSHE, whether it's in RE, whatever subject it's in. So it, it's uh, it's enormous in every way. And I think allowing those children to have those conversations in the vicinity, a safe vicinity, that's important. Yeah. And like you say, if leaders are... Um you know, as role models, starting that sort of energy in that conversation, then like, you know, it does come across the whole community, doesn't it? And leads to parents as well, you know, which is really important. Absolutely, it permeates into recruitment of teachers as well, the the sort of teachers you're looking for. Are you looking for a diverse body of staff? For example, I don't know, planning events, very minimal, very something, very small, but very innocuous, but we can make, we can diversify that as well. So we have multiple voices. Is it an echo chamber that we're creating or are we creating an opportunity for everyone to have their voice heard? So there's so many nuances to it. If you come across difficulties in leading this in school, so some of our listeners might think, oh, this is going to be quite difficult. How do you think we can tackle individual biases in a supportive yet challenging way? Have you got any advice for our listeners? I would say at the very minimum, the, the starting is really hard. That's the really, really hard part. It's the, the point of reflection where you say we've got it wrong. And I think the penny does drop in yeah. many schools, whether it's safeguarding, whether it's attainment, whether it's just a difficult conversation. So the previous school that I worked at, our Pakistani British boys were underachieving massively. And the school was struggling with that particular cohort. So our effort and energy went towards that group in particular. I think starting the dialogue is really hard, but I think finding a network that works for you. And I think the leaders team are going to be biased, of course. The Twinkle leaders team are willing to do that. They're willing to start those 
difficult yeah. conversations as well. But again, it starts from, I think it really starts from saying that we've got it wrong. There's been something that's not quite right here or whatever we're doing, it can be tweaked, altered and changed. It comes from a personal will and desire. Um, that's it, holding your hands up and saying, you know, we're not always right, we're not perfect, but we're willing absolutely. to, you know, listen and change. And Helen, if we go back to our teacher training um, all those years ago, they told us to be reflective practitioners. That was constantly drummed into us, regardless of what, what course you did, skip, PGC, um, whatever you did, however you got into your training course. At the minimum, the very yeah. minimum, it's about reflecting on what went, what went before us and trying to alter it and make it better. So having that reflective practice and, and just being aware of the world, now being aware of what's going on in the world. We saw last year with Sarah Everard, that put me on a massive journey about gender privilege and understanding what gender privilege is as well. Yeah. I've been learning more and more about trans uh, trans organizational trans rights as well that personal learning needs to take place and it starts in our libraries in our schools it starts with the podcast we listen to the conversations that take place unconscious biases within all of us you know we look at someone and we immediately yeah. have an assumption about them but i tend to flip it the way around i often ask myself, what do i not know about that person that's where it starts for me so like when we when i obviously first yeah. spoke to you i was like what do i not know about helen and then immediately in the first couple yeah. of minutes i found out you're from near Liverpool, Liverpool uh, and, and, and things like that. But yeah, it's it's what we don't know. That should be the biggest question. What do we not, not know about this rather than assuming knowledge because other people have that knowledge which we can use and to, to guide us, help us reflect in a further way? That's it. Always looking to learn. Um, yeah, and always being open-minded is um, two massive things we can take from that. Um, here at Twinkle AL, we talk about celebrating cultural diversity I'm really passionate about it. I know it's not something that can be just done on one special day or as just a special token. Um, how do you say diversity can be sort of celebrated in schools without it being that one-off event? I would start, if it was me, if it was just, if I, if I was in charge of a school and you said to me, Shreb, how are we going to do it? First of all, uh, at the very minimal, I would get a diversity calendar. I think that should be rolled out across the whole trust, the, the, the multi-academy trust or school or across SLT yeah. everyone needs to see that that's available there then looking at how we can embed celebrations events into the curriculum not as a token but even if we do it as a week how can we make sure the learning carries on Ramadan for yeah. example is just passing us now Eid is coming up next week as well and I always talk about what's next with EDI work are we going to provide yeah. the provisions we did before for, uh, for our Muslim students and staff after Ramadan as well so it's all about that question of what next as well I think a lot of it is also is retaining a sense of purpose, continue, continue asking ourselves those really important questions as well. It's how we can improve engagement with our students as well, how we're going to embed it into the, uh, the curriculum. And if we are going to do one-off events, which they, they do prop up here and there, we get awareness days, you know, World Book Day and those sorts of things as well. How can we make sure they have a meaningful impact? Who's leading those events? Are they people yeah. who fit that ideology, that group, that organisation, that protected characteristic? Or are we subjecting our own opinion of what they should be? So the entire design of it needs to be very much top down. And one thing I would say is working multiple agencies. Helen, you've got to work with your yeah. SENCOs. You've got to work with your TAs. These are very knowledgeable people. You've got to work with everyone across the organization and say, yeah, we might not have got it right. Even if we haven't got a designated EDI leader, there's got to be a conversation where we say equality, diversity and inclusion and representation is something that we need to be working towards. How are we going to find time for that? And that build that into your CPD, build that into your curriculum, your training, even performance management targets, you know, I hate performance management. I don't think it should exist, but there could possibly be some performance management targets where we look at how we can diversify the curriculum in many ways. And I think also sanitizing it of negative connotations. I think people often yes. see things like anti-racism training and conscious bias as, oh my gosh, it's an attack on my privilege. 
it's yeah. good to look at your privilege and acknowledge that it exists rather than attack on it and then working your way forward but there's all sorts but i would start with a cultural inclusive events calendar i think that's where the, that's where we start and from there we just stem our our conversation and we rely on other organizations including external organizations people within our school we lean on loads of people for their knowledge and understanding that's the experts in that field absolutely absolutely they, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you how many times i've asked tas for support with sen students they know everything they know more than i do but uh, it's got to be yeah. me willing enough to say, enough to say i don't know and it starts with that yeah. I, i'm not sure can you help me now initially they're shocked they're thinking you're a qualified teacher you've got a degree etc cetera, etc cetera. but i want to learn and i think that learning yeah. process starts with that conversation that frankness that dialogue so yeah um i think making sure that we realize that we have got diversity within our school you might have, for example, a predominantly white British school, but you will have intersectional identities in there. People with SEN, you have might people with different um, sexual orientations, if that even is the right phrase now. But I think it's all about leaning on one another, supporting one another, and retaining our sense of purpose. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very much a top down thing. But I think once we once you start recognizing that these events do exist and making sure we're putting in provisions before and after. So what was it like before the event? What's it going to be like after the event? Are we going to carry on that same yeah. level of energy enthusiasm hard work diligence reflection are we going to carry on those sorts of things afterwards yeah that energy can be really felt um felt sort of in those schools can't it of course when it you can. walk around you just you just feel it absolutely you see people uh for example you'll see people dressed in a particular way and they feel liberated in how they dress and there's no questions or qualms either in our school when we were growing up we used to have a number of teachers that were gay for example helen and back then you know early thousands um uh, yeah, early thousands time it was still something that was a, a conversation that was in its early infancy. Looking back now, I often think, how could we have made life for the, those? How could school made life for those teachers easier? And I think that's what's yeah. really important as well. What's happened in the past has happened now. But it's about reflecting and trying to move forward and trying to create some sort of like unity between us and and everyone else. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what do you think school leaders can do to sort of ensure school practice have a meaningful impact? Um, you know, going forward and then it's sustained and embedded within that community? I think it starts with constant review. I think that's the most important okay. thing. The policies are available and there. I'll give you a random example, okay? I've been doing a piece on bereavement policies. The number of school right. leaders said we don't have it. We don't have why would we have a bereavement policy? And my counter argument is we're all going to die one day. It's it's something that's gonna happen. It's inevitable. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We're gonna encounter some sort of loss or grief. And with the pandemic as well. Uh, our, our student, our pupils will will almost certainly, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, encounter that at some stage or another. Starting at the very early, reviewing the policies that are already in place, seeing where they've been outclusive, and I like word outclusion is really important for me as well. Seeing where they've not been inclusive, for example, PE practice. Is there provision for our SEN students? Are we making the most of our pupil premium funding? Um, is there a conversation about how we're going to support our EAL learners, particularly the ones who may arrive from Ukraine, Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, or wherever they come from? Is Are those provisions in place? And if they're not in place, what are we doing next? How are we going to make sure yeah. they're going to be in place? How are we going to prepare? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I think, it's, um, I think it starts with very much reviewing what's already there. What's already there is great. There's probably some great policies out there, and some schools are doing really well. But how can we make it better? I think that's the idea. Yeah. There should be no... Done. and inclusion's never done in any way shape or form there's right. always ways of altering and changing it so looking at it as a, looking at it as an ongoing process rather than something that we can tick box and 
you know, Ofsted and organizations like are guilty of doing that at times. It's very much we shoehorn it in and that's the end of it. But and I think try not EDI, to be reactive, you know, being proactive. Absolutely. EDI work is about creating those provisions in place. And if they're not in place, we start putting them in place. The whole dispute about toilets not long ago was massive. I remember hearing about gender gender neutral toilets. That's a conversation they've been having in other countries years and years before us. I feel as though sometimes we're a bit behind the curve in these conversations. Yeah. But communicating with parents, constantly reviewing what's out there, you know, reacting to the existing trends, um, look, watching the news, realizing that you know schools don't exist in a vacuum. They don't exist in a political yeah. vacuum, social vacuum, cultural vacuum. We schools are a reflection of the world out there, so reacting to the world out there as well. And I think ultimately review is and review constant learning and review are the most important things. Any EDI planning, any inclusive practices, how we can get the ball rolling. I think looking at where we've fallen short as an organisation, school, multi academy trust. Yeah, having those sort of parent forums and pupil voice, you know, make sure everyone feels involved. Absolutely, absolutely. Even like in the minimal things, um, a couple in a couple of weeks' time, we've got uh, it's National Celiac Week, and do we have those conversations in school? Are we able yeah. to have those conversations where children, staff feel safe to be able to articulate and relay these ideas to 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 their to, their, to fellow students and also to colleagues as well? So. It's uh, it's it's very, it's very, very, very in depth. There's a lot of nuance behind it as well. Yeah. Um. Do you have any ideas on how sort of can get staff, parents, and students involved? So making sure that there is like that holistic approach. I think a lot of it comes from communication. Communication is key. And um, yeah. the number of times I've I've worked in schools where we've had a child from I don't know Latvia, for example, and there's not been that willingness. Maybe not that willingness. Maybe there's not been that funding or capacity. I think a lot of it boils down to capacity where schools so far stretch and we know we both worked in schools. Yeah. The resources are only finite. They're not they're not gonna stretch right across the whole school. I think communication is absolutely vital and empowering that communication, making children feel as though they're seen in the school with the staff that are in that school, making parents allowing parents to have that dialogue as well. And those parents who aren't particularly engaged with the school, I find parents' evenings most eye-opening events. I think they for me anyway. They, are huge, they have huge safeguarding ramifications. Uh, I think it gives you a chance to uh, assess the background of the child in a different way and attitudes of the parents yeah. in a very different way. So even at parents' evenings, well, empowering those conversations and phone calls home are really, really important. Emails. I think that constant open dialogue, parent forums, when, when, whenever they can be held, open evenings. Often I think the liaison is really, really important. And I think constant conversation, constant dialogue, allowing children to be seen, felt and heard. And a lot of that's reflected in policy as well. I think once a yeah. child says, Links, um, yeah. absolutely, once a child says they don't like something, particularly in school, I don't know, break times or something, uh, a number of them come together and say, we don't like it in a school council. Unless there's action, it's just, there's no background, there's no backbone to what's been taking place. So it's about that sustained chain, that sustained conversation, and that making sure that change does take place. And we're we are actually reflecting their concerns in everything that we do. But that that dialogue is is very much, I think, lockdown in particular uh, during the pandemic that opened up that dialogue between ourselves and parents. Ultimately, yeah. I feel as though we want the same thing. We just want the best for yeah, the children. Of course. Yeah. I feel as though sometimes it gets lost in translation with this binary between us and them. We stripped that away at the very, very core. Once we start opening up conversations, challenging those misconceptions, 
that's when we can start moving forward. So a massive advocate of, of parent forums are really important. Parental voice. Definitely. I think parents can sometimes feel um, a little bit scared or a bit of anxiety towards schools, can't they, if they've had bad experiences in the past. Absolutely. So it's about trying to get those through the door, isn't it? And at least starting those conversations. Absolutely. The number of parents who don't speak English as a first language often are shocked with the provisions, EAL provisions that are in school. They're often shocked. Yeah. They're thinking, well, where did this come from? And the school, like, we've always provided this, just that we've never been able to have that dialogue with you. So I remember in, the, in its early days when short start centres were around as well, the schools were very much tied to the short start centre. I'd often see staff from the school come to the short start centre and they would be helping our parents learn to speak speak and re- read and write English. Those yeah. sort of things were incredible. Bringing that back, you know, making the school... make. I think I feel as though maybe because of academisation, maybe because of the way the education system is, schools have kind of been taken away from communities. It's about bringing that yeah. back. Yeah, that community feel. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I used to host a coffee morning um, for um, parents, first language wasn't English, um, and the conversation we had and the community feel we had on that Friday morning was just phenomenal. You know, and it's like it's like you say, it's creating that, isn't it, and continuing it and having those conversations. Absolutely. We're not entities, not uh, opposing forces, are we? We're trying to work together. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. even the language around schools, like we don't call them schools anymore, we call them academies. It creates that yeah. feeling of it's distant, it's detached, and ultimately, sort of feel. absolutely, absolutely. I don't think parents want that. I don't think personally from the ones that I speak to. Um, and do you think this? So we've talked about having um, a link between inclusion and well-being. Um, do you think that has had an impact as well on the parents and students? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it has a massive impact on parents and students. I think, in particular, for students, if we start with students in particular, I think. Um, once they feel as though they're included and part of the school and the fabric of the school as well, I think in terms of behaviour, attitude towards learning, there's links between attendance, teacher tap of the surveys, between attendance and inclusion. There's massive, massive links between the two as well. And for parents as well, I think if they feel as though their child is safe in that school and their voice is being heard and they're respected in that school, they're being valued in that school, I think that ripple has a great, great ripple effect, massive ripple effect. And I think the, the links are so direct there as well. And I think a lot of it's also with the curriculum as well, Helen. You know, if they if parents yeah. feel as though what goes on at home is being valued in school, there'll be yeah. that opportunity. Reflect, yeah, absolutely. their social life. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not a binary. Home and home and school are not. A bi- they're not so different, and that's what I think a lot of parents look for. I think we create this opposite polar effect sometimes. But if they can, if we can find a, an opportunity for the two to link together and foster that space, would be great. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. Um, are there any other um, books or other sources that you recommend um, or people to look at on Twitter, for example, um, that we can look at following this podcast to sort of carry this conversation on? Absolutely. Um, the book that's massive at the minute, it got published last week, actually. It, I actually went to the um, the book launch. It was a virtual book launch. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it was The Diverse Ed Manifesto. Uh, that's by... Um, Hannah Wilson and Benny Cara. So they launched Diverse Ed in 2020. I remember the first few events were all virtual because of lockdown and everything. And um, yeah, just very empowering. Loads of different people, loads of different identities, very intersectional design behind that book. And the book looks at all the protected characteristics, all nine of them, and how educators can, I suppose, reflect on existing diversity. I think that's been a very empowering book. Um, The book that I've been reading recently, I've actually got on my shelf here it's called why i'm no longer talking to white people about race by rennie Odder lodge and uh that book is in particular and really really empowering about how i suppose 
when we're asking conversations about equality, diversity, and inclusion, are we mindful of the person we're asking them to? Have we yeah. run those questions for, by them? For, are they going to cause trauma to that person as well? So I've often been in, in, in conversations with people where they've asked me about certain things, certain traumatic experiences without asking me or giving me some sort of preempt warning. This book yeah. in particular, I think it allows you to have that reflection as well. And I think British by Afwa Hirsch, I think is a really, really good book. That's a really, okay. really empowering book as well. It talks about the, the entire journey of assimilation in British culture. It's a great book. It's a great book. There's this, there's, I don't want to give too much away. Um, with regards to people to follow, Anna Wilson and Benny Carr are two fantastic educators to follow. Um, I think them two in particular are kind of like leading the way in terms of inclusion and diversity work as well. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention Twinkle SLT. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're making yeah. waves as well. I think they're allowing me to um, impart my knowledge and are willing to open up those conversations as well more and more. Um, there's another uh, another organisation. Um, it's called... Oh, it's gone out of my head now. That's really bad. I wrote it down earlier as well. Um, it's gone. I don't know. It's gone now. Uh, I think it was it called interlink. It was interlinking. I don't know what it's called. Something interlinking. It was called. But I'll find it for you soon. They, they're great as well. Um, yeah. And also, if you're looking at head teachers who've either recently or currently been in education, people like Alison Creel's absolutely fantastic. She's um, started her own, own organization above and beyond. I think it's called. Um, Carl Pupe, action hero teacher, a massive friend, a good friend of mine, also another diverse educator as well. Someone who's really working and having those really, really important conversations. Raj Unsworth, someone does EDI work with with um, Gov School Governors. Pepe Hart, um, she does a lot of work with the Stephen Lawrence Foundation. Um, I'm just reeling off names now, to be honest with you. Um, with no, Martin. no, it's fantastic. I mean, it's so important that these, you know, role models and people that are working um, so hard and leading the way, like you say. Um, for people to follow them and to be inspired by them is, you know, fantastic. Absolutely. I've got loads more. I've got Nexus Ed. They're another organisation. They host a number of blogs, a series of blogs. A lot of their work is based on things like wellbeing, inclusion. Um, we've also yeah. got uh, Rumena, Rumena Akhtar. She hosts the uh, teacher, book, uh, teacher Book Club on Teacher Hug Radio. And her, she's really about diverse okay. literature, which is another really, really important element of, of schools. Um, I'll keep going. I'll keep going. I could. We've also got um, who can I think off the top of my head? We've also got um, um, we've also got an organisation called Mirror Me Right. They do representation okay. representation literature. Um, yeah, they've got a great Instagram page as well. I can't use Instagram because um, it's too uh, it's too. Flowery. I think I've got them on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm into Instagram. I don't know how to use it. Like I feel like all people do is share food on there, and I, I, uh, yeah, that that's what I feel like. And like, yeah, pictures of their pet, pets and stuff. Yeah, which I'm not, yeah, I'm not really keen on. But those are the organisations I would definitely, definitely follow. Um, and 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 gear myself towards. I think they're willing to have those conversations, facilitate those spaces as well. Adrian Rollins is another one, former cricketer, now a teacher as well. Someone who's massively okay, yeah, into diverse ed. I did a podcast with him not too long ago. Um, there's there's no, there's so many so many organisations out there that are gradually making making moves, but I think diverse said in particular they, I think they're the one that kind of create the networks. They're the one who started the networks. So I would start yeah. with diverse said, and again a non non threatening space, um, willing to ask, willing to 
work with loads of different people on their expertise as well and lean on people in their expertise as well. So yeah, diverse ed is where I, w- I personally would start uh, any dialogue on, on EDI. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. A really um, brilliant list there that I'll make sure I find all those um, sort of social media accounts and put those in the podcast sort of write up so people can have a look at those. That'd be really good. Um, any last tips or sort of final tips that people can sort of go back to their schools with and things that they can get started with? I think the initial, the most important thing for me in particular is the fact that you're willing to even engage in this conversation is a brave step. So I think we've got to praise that. That needs to be lauded first and foremost as well. A lot of people deserve a lot of kudos for that, just to take that first step. The first step is always the hardest. And whenever people start the EDI journey, it's often like, where do we start? How is there anyone out there willing to talk to us about this without us feeling as though we're threatening their space or they're threatening ours? I think there's so many yeah. good organisations out there that are willing to do that. And I think EDI work is difficult for anyone. It requires a lot of reflection. Um, it requires a lot of, I suppose, personal thinking and unlearning. We've got to unlearn things that we learned from childhood, the the misconceptions that were embedded to us at a very, very yeah, early age. Yeah, challenging those misconceptions. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we start now in our schools, the next generation will have less work to do with the unconscious bias. And I feel as though progressively as an education system, the only way we can really move forward is giving these children the most authentic versions of ourselves. And with that comes learning about them and the world they're growing up in with these intersectional identity, this multicultural society where nothing is forever. Everything is constantly fluid and moving. And you know the, the yeah. moorings that we had, the stability we had, it's kind of melting the thin air. It's exciting. It's definitely yeah. exciting. And the way we've got the internet now, you know, everything's so fast moving, isn't it? Absolutely. I think with that excitement as well, Helen, comes a sense of fear as well. We've got to try and meet the meet, meet in the middle somewhere and say, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work we're gonna work towards making EDI work as progressive as possible and, and leaning on people I think is really important. Finding those networks and I'm always willing to have a conversation. I know the people that I've mentioned are always willing to have diverse set of great like that. Twinkle SLT are great like that as well. Even your space as well, Twink, uh, Twinkle EAL. Those conversations are taking place now and we're putting in the hard yards. So you don't have to ask the awkward questions. We will do that. We'll do that for you. Yeah. So if you can yeah. propose them to us, we're willing to do that. And 10 years ago, two years ago, this wasn't happening. Helen, this wasn't happening no. two years ago. So spaces are there. People are there. The time's now. No, it's really exciting. Thank you so much um, for your conversation today. And we absolutely love your energy. Um, And, you know, we can only go forward from this and it'll be a really exciting space to see. Absolutely. Until next time. Oh, thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Helen Bodell from Twinkle EAL. We have over 650,000 resources and you can find all of our EAL resources at www.twinkle.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and Pinterest by searching Twinkle EAL.